0: All right, and we are live yep. Mere Moments ago, I was assaulted yeah. for my for my De- defending yourself against attacks
1: from me about your from without your uh, your true sweatshirt. My personal choices. Yeah, I'm wearing a, a light uh, lighter a than most shirt. of my t-shirts uh, hoodie. I don't know. Is it long sleeved? Long sleeved? I
0: don't. I don't feel like I need to tell you. I feel.
1: You have to. I'm your co-host. You I don't feel like me. you need to know. Can you see? I, I need you to can't know. see it, right? I can't. I can't see your forearms. Yeah, and that's how I like it. Oh, oh, I can see your wrist. Yeah. Oh, it's short sleeved. Oh. Oh, it's long sleeved It's long sleeved They're rolled of up. Bullshit, dude. Ugh. They're rolled up. I don't even have sleeves right now. Well, I don't now. have anything on below the waist. I am. Uh, can you put something up below? I'm the hanging waist? brain. So. Oh God,
0: that's Sw- how I compromise. Swing
1: low, sweet chariot.
0: <laughs> how low can you go? Well, not that low, unfortunately. No. Uh, speaking of which, that reminds me. So I just found out via TikTok. Uh, one of my roommates okay. sent us a TikTok that, uh, apparently, it's it's, not inherently, illegal. To pee in public, and be caught. It is only uh, a crime, yeah, if your your genitals are visible. (laughs) And so I said, "Well, finally, my micro penis is helping me in some way." Unfortunately, unfortunately, and this is a subject that you're well acquainted with. The only thing working against me is that I am a, a, a balls okay. out pisser. Oh, hold
1: up, I I'm gonna go back because you just said that I'm well acquainted
0: <laughs> with that. I'm a balls out pisser. I know that because you've told me right. multiple you're times. You're well acquainted. I have I've... I have acquainted you well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe the first time you're like, Wait, so I have a question for you. Do you piss with your balls out, and it like sent me into a <laughs> conniption fit? Yeah, I you never lost even, it.
0: I had never even considered the possibility. Dude, that you, would you know what's crazy? I had never until until basically that conversation, or yeah. maybe something else had triggered me asking that. Like maybe someone else yeah. had said something about it, but um, I had never really considered that. I'd never thought about it. Yeah. You know, for me, it's just more comfortable that way. I mean, no one's looking. My hands are shielding my entire business. Like, I don't have like freakishly big balls or anything. So, I don't know. I take them out. You know, I pop the top button. I don't fuck with the zipper. And I pop my I pop my nutsack and my penis out. this, right? And I've done that my entire life. And nice. we had that conversation. It became abundantly clear to me that I am. In a dying minority of people, <laughs>
1: that requires re-education. Well, like... <laughs> so here's the thing: I have
0: continued to do that uh, ever since. I've yeah. never stopped, but Good I luck. am now acutely aware that I am that I am other. Yeah. Um, yeah i would
1: is, say i i would honestly hazard to guess that less than one percent of the population <laughs> i think
0: it's probably more <laughs> pisses balls out i've got a similar survey that i've been uh, performing recently though that i'm okay. i'm appalled by and on this one i'm on the right side so uh recently i was at work and i mentioned mm-hmm. for i don't remember the context but i mean you've worked in a restaurant the subject okay. matter ranges wildly uh, yeah. just to keep yourself sane um I mentioned washing my feet in the shower, which I do every day. Um, yeah, and too. I'm not saying I have the world's greatest feet. You know, uh, they're, they're not, but I clean them. I wash them with soap and hot water yeah. at least once a day. And I mentioned that, and the person I was talking to was like, what? Was or were like, they yeah. one of these gravity people that were like, gravity will clean? They, they <laughs> made the argument that when you are in the shower, soap and water cascading dirty off of your dirty body <laughs> Hits the ground adjacent to your feet, and that's and it sloshes around in your feet, and that's enough no. to clean them. Uh, and I was so fucking appalled. I was like, I guarantee you that I'm going to go around and ask everybody in this restaurant. I guarantee you that you're a freaking weirdo, and everyone's going to no, be like, No, they're, they're probably like nope. half. Oh my god, I'm in the minority again. I talked to <laughs> oh, that's, oh that's the minority. Yes, I talked to everybody. I talked to I everybody. I would have said
1: one to one ratio.
0: No, no. I mean, at least not among people surveyed. Now. It's a very specific group that I'm talking to. Yeah, I mean, you know, these
1: are people that work in a restaurant, so they're probably usually hungover in the morning. So maybe they're degenerates.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, of the people surveyed, which is only about 20, I would say that about seven or eight uh, wash their feet. I had a couple of answer changers, which to me says they don't wash their feet yeah if you go Still from likely. like no to me acting appalled and then you say yes you're a no oh wait no sorry i misunderstood the question yeah what's there to misunderstand do you yeah. or do you not actively wash your nasty dirty feet after yeah, being no. on them all day in, in non-slip shoes so okay so i'm a, i'm a man of dualities that's what we've established yeah am i am i a demented balls out pisser yes yeah. Do that I also keep my feet? Camp? Sure, yes. but do I also keep my feet clean? Apparently, <laughs> in defiance of, of societal norms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay. So that's what's up with me, today. Yeah. Oh, also, I got all of my Dungeons and Dragons books, and I'm gonna nice. make you play with me. And maybe yeah, that can yeah. be our uh, first introduction to Twitch. Maybe we can do our shit on Twitch. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I'll, I'll buy. Uh, I'll buy that. Book. Yeah, buy it. And then, yeah, I've got a campaign already.
0: I've, I've, I'm working on. It. I think it's. I think yeah, it's pretty cool. I think I'm going to call my character Toe Jam Charlie. So, so, so here's <laughs> the thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm grappling with it, right? Because I've got like a really cool, like legitimate idea for like a campaign yeah. that isn't like silly or funny, but, yeah, but still also the names. like I've got uh, my first minor villain already planned out, and his name is, uh, <laughs> is Turtus the Great, yeah. and. Uh, He's going to be like it a little... It could be a mix. He's going to be like a know? piece of shit, like crazy necromancer who like lives in under a hill. I mean, uh, yeah,
1: whenever I play the Dark Souls games, you know, I'm playing a nasty, gross little man. I usually call myself like a... I don't know, just like, you know, Slimy Pete or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's just, it's just going to be tough to balance because I don't want the whole thing to be a joke because I've got like a legitimate idea for... And I also want to incorporate like some horror ideas that I've got that yeah. kind of only really work. And I'm just excited about it. I think that it's going to be really fun. Sure. Sure. I'm just only sad that... I'm going to be DMing because I don't know what the fuck... Like, I figure if you need someone to do it, you may as well do it yourself. But... Yeah. I want to have a character too. I'll probably just make a lot of NPCs that I, I yeah. get to be in charge of. Um... Anything that you want to add? I know I've just been fucking throwing shit out today. Um, no. Right. Nope. Well, this is a fun yeah, one. Excited,
1: uh, excited to see the Green Knight tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is absolutely cleaning up in reviews. Yeah. Um, so pretty much everybody says it's, like, mesmerizing to, like, look at. And just, like, visually it's supposed to be, like, yeah. insane. Which From the first I mean, the teaser trailer. trailer not, yeah,
0: yeah. I was, like, they. I'm fucking obsessed with this movie. And then I remember yeah. mentioning it during our... our Jeffrey episodes, and uh, I think it's safe play? to say that we've both been like chomping at the bit for this movie to come out. Yeah. So we're going yeah, to see they, it at a cool local independent theater, yeah. which, if you have available to you, they need your dollars right now because
1: yeah, that's which, a good uh, thing. One time we saw The Room at midnight there, yeah, which was just, like one of the dumbest things I've ever done. Yeah. I like by the end it was like. Two two thirty in the morning, and I was like, I just want to go to bed, and I keep getting yeah. hit in the head with fucking spoons. That was that was also
0: sort of my first like unofficial date with my partner yeah. now, and I was like really stupid at the time because I was like, no, 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 she's just a friend, like. And you were like, yeah, all right, like, <laughs> okay, sure. Thing, you don't just dude. bring girls on our fucking movie nights usually, yeah. but okay. Yeah. And then sure enough, like, you know. Within a couple weeks, we were dating. So, Mm -hmm. the room brought us together. So this is a fun one i'm really excited to to dive in because um, we're going to talk about sort of the lead up to and the start of the opium wars today which is yeah. one of my favorite all-time topics to discuss um, yeah. for numerous reasons but uh before we do that uh yeah, yeah. is there an advertisement today yeah so uh we haven't
1: heard from our friend here um i think since both the tiberius episodes um but friend of the pod, uh, Michael Five has uh <laughs> Yes. <laughs> he's uh he sent in a video and um you know, so I'll uh I guess I'll just play it right here. Okay. Um alright, so uh let me just press Here we go. Boys, boys, it's me
2: again, Michael Five, creator of the My Millions Matter Replicators. I know it's been a while. But I need you fellas now more than ever. (laughs) When last we spoke, people had inadvertently used their My Millions version 1.0 replicators to create an army of degraded clones that began wreaking havoc across New England. Well, I have unfortunately learned that this was all the plan of... Well, I'm sorry, boys, but I did hide something from you. My great-grandfather, Michael I, had done some experimenting in between creating Michael's two and three. There was another Michael created between these two. He was named the Dark Michael. A hideous, scheming lich that was unleashed upon the world like one of the Elder Gods. Michael One could not kill this creature, being fully formed and aware and lacking the rapid degradation disease that infected the other early Michaels. He was locked away in a saline solution chamber deep in the Berkshires as his skin was sensitive to air and sunlight. There he plotted and waited. He was pulling the strings behind the curtain, aligning the chessboard just how he wanted as the succession of Michaels led to me and the My Millions to market. He led me to create the flawed My Millions version 1.0 that led to the creation of his wretched clone army, which was recalled to his base. From there, he plots world domination. So it is from your fine listeners that I now request they purchase the My Millions 3.0 Dawnguard Edition. I need all of your beautiful listeners to purchase these My Millions replicators using promo code DarkMichael20 for 20% off and then to immediately use them to clone themselves. This is the only way to protect against the sloughing hordes of Dark Michael's army. Once you gorgeous folks are cloned... Your new companion should have a built-in homing feature to march immediately to my staging ground where I will marshal forth this army of light to take on the Dark Michael. (laughs) So again, use promo code DarkMichael20 for 20% off today. All right, thanks,
1: boys. I I gotta run.
0: Holy shit. All right. There's a Dark Michael?
1: Yeah, he sounds... Pretty fucked, too.
0: Yeah, I never would have guessed. Uh, wow, this just took... I, I haven't thought of, of Michael5 in months. Yeah. And I guess he yeah, did tell was, us he uh, was coming back. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, sounds pretty fucked. Uh, I already ordered uh, one for Cam and I each. Uh, oh, thanks, man. The promo code uh, does work. So, everybody, please um, please order your My Millions 3.0 Dunkard editions.
0: Yeah, I guess we need to we need to help marshal the forces of light uh, with our yeah. own clones. To Sounds serious. Yeah. It's going to be kind of fucked up if people who also bought the 1.0... Oh, those should
1: be f- disabled. He said in the email uh, he should have remotely disabled
0: both 1 and 2. So. No, but what I'm saying is they're going to have clones of themselves fighting on both sides of the war. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. going to be... Kind of a mindfuck. Yeah. yeah, it's like a, it's definitely some sort of ethical dilemma. Yeah. but
1: If you had a dark version of yourself and a light <laughs> version of yourself and they fought, are you as the original obligated to?
0: Yeah, we'd also like, like to... I, I really hope that the dark version of Michael is, is just dark in personality and not visually distinct in terms of skin tone from uh, light Michael because I well, feel like if, that's a really outdated... Uh, method of distinguishing.
1: <laughs> well, considering he's, like, seemed allergic to sunlight, I think, you know, maybe he might be pale like Emperor Palpatine or something. Right, right.
0: Hunched. Okay.
1: Cool. So it's just like a, yeah, good. Yeah, I, I think, think that dark. tracks.
0: That definitely tracks, then.
1: I think it's dark in terms of, you know, yeah you know, his, He's his not goals. physically dark. Okay, well, we can just... <laughs>
0: All right. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> thanks, Michael. We'll we'll definitely do what we can. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's uh, let's start the show. Um. So, do you remember during our Jack the Ripper series when I was going on and on and on and on about how fascinating? No the British Empire was in the 19th century. I have century. never
1: found anything cool or
0: fascinating about the British and I refuse to learn about them. Okay. Well, I mentioned how, how fun and exciting the geopolitical landscape was. It's full of technological marvels and swashbuckling daring do And a bunch <laughs> of people putting beans on toast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they still do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one fun thing that happened during this, quote, golden age of Britannia was called The Opium Wars, and today, we are talking specifically and exclusively about it. Uh, it's it, what <laughs> is it? Yeah.
1: It's it, what is it? You <laughs> want it
0: all, okay, so. but you can't have it. All right. That's that song rocks. I guess now I have to put that in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my goal here. Ugh, faith no more. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, I was gonna do exclusively. I found a bunch of like Chinese like. I found a bunch of like Chinese like metal and post hardcore and hardcore bands that I was gonna yeah. use in this episode, which I guess I still can. Um, oh, you should use Wang Wen. They're cool. Oh, Wengwen is cool. And uh, I was going to use uh, Nine Treasures, who's another cool band. They're from, nice. like, Inner Mongolia. There's a lot of Mongolian, like, bands. Nice. Right oh,
1: here. dude, hell yeah, some throat singing. Yeah. A little Tuvan throat singing. Well, it's
0: Mongolian folk sing- throat singing, but same basic idea. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, a little background here. Well, actually, it's a lot of background. Like, half of this episode is going to be background. Most of this episode is going to be background. We're not even going to really... Is this going to be multi-episodes? Yeah, it's, it is, and I'm okay. I'm fine with that. I wasn't going to, but I always say that, and then I dive into something, and then I'm like, all right, yeah. this is worth spreading out. So this, this is, is going to be cool. probably two episodes. Um, I don't think it's enough for three. I mean, it could be, but I don't think it's. I'm going to make it three. But So this episode is mostly episodes. just going to be... Yeah, seven episodes on the Opium Wars. Um... I just found that there was so much that I wanted to, like, sort of set up before we got to, like, the actual conflict. So this is just gonna be, like, really, like, a setup of explaining the relationship between Europe and Asia, specifically as it pertains to, like, building the background for the plot of the Opium Wars. Um, And we're gonna sort of end with, like, the first shots fired. Um, But there's a lot of cool shit that leads up to that. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm not gonna just, like, ignore all of that. And then jump right to the the gunfire because yeah there's so much it's about it. Like, it's
1: like with saucy jackie when you had texted me saying this is just gonna be a short episode i know it was like yeah. two and a half hours worth of
0: episodes yeah it was a lot so i don't know that like these will be like i definitely didn't kill myself like i did with the saucy jackie episodes but um i i love this subject way more than talking about jack the ripper so yeah um so let's talk about it Okay, so a little background. So the story of trade Mm -hmm. between Europe and Asia is a very long one. Uh, As long as there have been people, like, in a a settled or civilized, whatever you want to call it, setting in both places, they have bought and sold shit to and Mm -hmm. from one another. Uh, For nearly as long as this trade has existed, it's been uh, somewhat asymmetrical in nature. Uh, You see... Asia in general, and specifically for the purposes of our episode today, the the massive collection of peoples and territories that are historically known as China, um, they just have way more and way better Mm -hmm. shit than they've got over in shitty old Europe. Yeah. Asia is where all the cool shit is. Uh, Like, they've got more precious metals and, and precious stones, and they've got fine textiles like silk. They've got beautiful art, handcrafted goods like pottery and wood shit and uh, exotic spices that can make the gnarly potato beef porridge that they in europe taste kind of like almost pretty good
1: dude yeah it, it blows my mind that that england did so much just to get spices you know what i mean yeah even had like the east india trading company and all that shit and then uh they just didn't use the
0: spices for any of their food yeah i mean the, the, the two most important ones were like salt and black pepper, so yeah. they do use those, and I mean, mm-hmm. today, that doesn't seem like very exciting shit, but <laughs>
1: those <laughs>
0: yeah. it was a big for, deal. For a,
1: for a, uh, for a fucking uh, sheep milker, you know? Can you and, imagine uh,
0: a brown gravy without <laughs> salt or pepper? Like, yeah. that's just a fucking bland, pasty yeah. sauce. So... Uh, There were things that Europe sent back, like furs and eventually things like steel and like gunpowder weapons and whatever. Um, But basically, the merchants and the elites of Europe were trading cash for goods because there just wasn't as much cool shit in Europe. And certainly nothing that the highly advanced Chinese felt like they needed. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it would be fair to say that historically, the Chinese kind of looked down their noses, um, which is maybe a nicer way of putting it. Um, There was a a certain degree of xenophobia, a bit of a superiority complex among the Chinese, both towards their fellow East Asians, but also towards Mm -hmm. just everybody who wasn't Chinese in general. Um, So especially at the Europeans who are like clamoring for all of their cool shit. So just I mean smelling like dog <laughs> shit too. Well that's the thing. It's the like smelliest fucking people. The way they're looking at it, it's like, mm-hmm. of course they want our stuff. It's great stuff. And they're so stupid and dirty and barbaric. Obviously they want all of our great stuff. And if they've got the gold for it, like European gold spends as good as Chinese gold, so sure, we'll throw them yeah. some of other the stuff that we don't want. And uh The thing is, even if this is really super judgy and mean, uh, the Chinese were pretty right in their assessment. Europeans, for Mm -hmm. the most part, uh, would seem pretty poor and dirty and uncivilized when compared with the average person living under imperial Chinese rule. Yeah. Uh, So for a long time, the obvious and really the only way for things to move from China to Europe was over land. Boats just weren't that good yet. Um, Even like... You know, if we look back through like European classical antiquity and we think of like maritime nations, like the Carthaginians um, or even the Greeks, right? We're still mm-hmm. talking about boats that were designed primarily for use in the Mediterranean, which is just not the same as taking a ship out on the Atlantic or the Pacific or the Indian Ocean. Yeah. Um, it, it is just a different a different but beast like they, entirely. Yeah, like around
1: uh, the southern coast of Africa.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Vikings were sort of the first right. to really explore that. And then their longships, Became the basis for an expanding tradition of European seafaring vessels, mm-hmm. which, um, and the Polynesians uh, mm-hmm. over in in the opposite side of the yeah. world. Um, yeah, and, but even those ones, like the long ships, like they would carry them over land. <laughs> yeah, like, they were they, I mean? right, and it's the when same. They the, went the down to the black sea. Were, were in yeah. like basically glorified sail-powered canoes. So that's yeah. like, you know, we talk about them crossing the sea. They were brave. That was a mm-hmm. that was a degree of uh, just skill and bravery that. They didn't rely on the ships. They were just really good at navigating and doing what they did. And there was a lot of guesswork there. But so, yeah, really the only way for things to get from China to Europe was over land. You would just Mm -hmm. walk. Um, There's a collection of roads and pathways and mountain passes and desert trails that sort of loosely connect east to west. And and we now think of that as the Silk Road. You've all probably heard of the Silk Road. Um, That's because it was basically a road and Silk was carried on it. it. was one of the most popular things. Makes sense, yeah. um, This wasn't an ideal arrangement. It took a really long time to walk from China to Europe. Um, and then along that way, you can pretty much guarantee that there are going to be... Um, a pretty vicious collection of of bandits and raiders who are just looking to kill you and take all of your cool stuff. Um, And if they don't get you, there's all these shady, like, quote-unquote legit local lords and merchants who are going to tax the shit out of you for the privilege of passing their borders. And since the Europeans really wanted this great stuff, they end up shouldering the burden because the Chinese are like, listen, man, we don't fucking need to sell this to you. We are rich and gorgeous and powerful and have everything we need. If you want it, you're paying for all that. You're going to send your people here or pay us. To, to send it your way, but we're not fucking worried about it. So the Europeans yeah. end up paying like exorbitant prices for a lot of the goods that they get. Uh, this arrangement, already shitty, was further enshittened when Islam exploded out of the Arabian Peninsula in the 7th and 8th centuries with the Umayyad Caliphate Caliphate, establishing dominion over all of the sweet, juicy land between China and Europe. Um, Not really all of it, but enough of it that you pretty much had to pass through Muslim-controlled lands in order to bring goods to Europe. Um, Mm -hmm. This wasn't a huge deal until Europe decided to do some crusades against Islam we take Jerusalem <laughs> yeah. or whatever. and uh, the Muslim world understandably they took exception to this. Uh, and so for a while it was pretty damn impossible to travel overland from Europe to China. And when yep. you did, you, it was more trouble than it was worth and it cost lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money and bribes and yeah, fees. It really and wasn't a great idea to engage in those whole no. say things. No, no, they, they <clears throat> we were outclassed. The, the first one went pretty well, but it was all down Well, you know which there. one
1: did go well? You know it was the fourth one where they just decided last minute like how about instead of Jerusalem, what if we just take Byzantium yeah <laughs> Constantinople, yeah. and everybody's like, "Wait what, and then fucking uh, what was his name uh Flanders, uh the guy Flanders, I forget what um, I don't know, but he uh you know they established the Latin Empire, yeah, that which lasted what like a couple decades, um yeah, some I think like fifty years something like that, yeah, Baldwin, that's what it was Baldwin Baldwin Flanders. of Flanders, oh, oh yeah, yeah
0: yeah. 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 Okay, cool. I know that name. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, all this is going on. The Chinese, as I said, they don't really care. They're fine. They have all the great stuff. They have a highly advanced society. They have cool clothes and delicious foods. They have guys whose whole job it is to just think of nice things to write down, like Confucius. Uh, They're just as happy trading with the Arabs, who now control the overland trade route. Uh, Probably more so, in fact, because at least those guys took baths. Uh, (laughs) But here's where things get freaky. So Europe spends a few centuries kind of isolated from the rest of the world. They no longer have access to all the great new stuff that's coming out of the East. Uh, the Roman Empire has crumbled. People are forgetting about fun things like philosophy and reading and, and civilization. But Europeans are really good at a few things. And this is kind of, this is kind of the guns, germs, and steel uh, yeah. basic philosophy, which I think kind of holds up. Um, they have all this free time yeah. to really focus on their, their hobbies. So among these things that they're they're really good at are making really, really, really good arms and armor and then using them on each other. Uh, Europeans love killing each other. And they actually love killing anybody, really. But right now, they've got each other. Uh, that's who they, they have, so that's who they're doing it on. Uh, they develop an, an unbelievably strong new alloy, steel, which has actually been around for... A little while, the Romans had steel. Uh, there, there is steel in the east, but the steel in Europe is of, of an advanced and incredibly high quality, um, really pure. And they have the natural ore to create this. Their iron is, is much more pure. Um, they're also able to incorporate carbon into the steel and create, like, Damascus steel and all this shit, which, again, exists in other parts of the world, but um, Europe has really, really good steel. They also get really, really exceptionally good at building boats, Uh, They need to because they can't really get anywhere without them. The desire to find alternate routes to China, India, and the rest of Asia without having to cross through Muslim territory fuels an incredible age of innovation in the realm of nautical navigation. We're going to jump forward. Uh, By the late 15th century, the Reconquista, Reconquista has expelled the Muslims from Iberia. Um, which is probably going to be a whole episode. That's a really cool story. Um, but just now, just know for now, um, for a long yeah, time, buddy. Spain and Portugal were controlled by Muslims. Uh, local Christian lords and strongmen, they did not like this. So they spent a long they time... They to pay, geez, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, spent a long time uh, fighting for their independence so that they could oppress their people in the name of the right version of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were ready to set out and try to break the Muslim embargo on trade with Asia. Remember Christopher Columbus? Yeah, he... Uh, may have, quote, discovered America or whatever, Um, and this has generally been considered bad for everyone involved ever since, Uh, but you know where he was really trying to get was China and India, my dudes. Uh, That was the goal. Mm -hmm. They do end up getting there, um, eventually, first by sailing all the way around Africa, then by sailing around South America, which is fucking insane, Uh, Mm -hmm. and eventually there are Spanish outposts on the Pacific side of North and South America, and they can launch boats from there, but that's a little further off. Yeah. The Panama Canal won't be a thing for a few hundred years.
1: <laughs> and that's uh,
0: where you get uh, those early stories of the Patagonians,
1: the um, <clears throat> which they believed were like races of like giant humans that uh, I think oftentimes were just depicted without even a head. So it's just like a face on a chest. I don't
0: know anything about this. It sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you should uh, look up pictures of that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds
0: really cool. I wish that's what that's what was down there yeah weird dude weird giant headless shoulder men yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um either way it's a hard trip but it's still better than having to deal with the muslims again i'm not really sure why because the muslim world was like absolutely fucking rocking at this period just seriously yeah. slamming slamming wild stuff going on in the worlds of science and art and poetry and music and philosophy um mm-hmm. they're 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 rivaling the chinese is like just like the most awesome fucking human beings on planet earth. And yeah, yeah. over in Europe they're just like dirty, fleep-it-and-fucking-freaks, and fucking freaks and they're just like ah, fuck all. Yeah, I
1: mean like honestly though like you know now we kind of take it for granted but you know uh, it wasn't always that the Europeans were dominating the rest of the world. It really wasn't until you know capitalism started evolving in England. Yeah, I mean so what do you <laughs> think the, what the do you the think my about Evan?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel like maybe there's a chance that that's what this is about? I have no idea. Trying to steal my thunder? Yes, I am. Hmm. So eventually, in 1557, the Portuguese, who were having a big Hell come yeah. up, okay, what's up, baby? Country Number in, in, one. I think actually they're the country on earth with the the oldest contiguous uh, national border. It hasn't changed since they yeah. were finally created as a country. Yeah, I think
1: I think yeah. Once like the kingdom of Portugal was created, yeah, as the borders haven't like, changed. I think it's the oldest, Portucale.
0: the oldest yeah. constant border on earth. Or one of maybe it's in Europe. I don't know, but it's I remember learning something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, in fifteen fifty seven, the Portuguese established a trading port in Macau in southern China. Uh, it's the first permanent European trading port inside Chinese territory, and they make a fuck ton of money. Uh, the Chinese imperial court guarded their amnesty and their primacy and trade agreements extremely jealousy, jealously rather. They had always had the upper hand when dealing with foreign powers, and they had absolutely no intention of losing it. Uh, So for a while, they dealt exclusively with the Portuguese, who made an Mm -hmm. absolute killing trading South American gold and silver for Chinese goods, and then shipping them back to Europe. Um, Obviously, the rest of European powers weren't about to let some shitty Portuguese dudes have all the glory and all the riches. uh, So there's a mad dash to us. Yeah, well, I mean, can you blame them, though? It's like the Portuguese are over here. Fucking. Yeah. Wearing Air Beating Force Ohio, Ones,
1: dude. And, and everybody <laughs> yeah.
0: else is still like discovering sandals. You know, it's just a different, it's a different whole vibe, and so jealousy ensues. Hey, man, I'd be jealous too. <laughs> so there's a mad dash to establish overseas colonies throughout Asia and the New World. Um, this forms this sort of fun little three-way trade scenario. Um, since in the Americas, the European powers discover a wealth of new natural resources that can be leveraged for trade with Asia, um, but also just for themselves. So this takes us to a point where our two main players for the second half of the episode are going to come in, which are the Mm. British Empire and the Qing Dynasty of the Chinese Empire. Okay. So I call this next section, The Qing Dynasty Keeps It Real. Yep. So when Portugal built the port at Macau, they were dealing with the Ming Dynasty. Uh, Oh yeah. The Ming were an ethnically Han Chinese ruling lineage that had ruled China since the collapse of the Mongol Yuan dynasty in the 14th century. So think Kublai Khan. Um, they run it. A- loving it. Oh, yeah that's i'm so obsessed with the mongols i'll be doing some mongol shit eventually yeah yeah dude i i
1: didn't get into them too much in college but you know there was a little golden horde action you know what i'm saying dude? oh dude
0: i i it was post-college for me too it was when i got a library card i checked out a bunch of books oh no no my
1: mine was in college because i I had a specific professor who was a um professor of certain central american peoples Mm -hmm. Uh, not central oh sorry uh central asian
0: peoples yeah oh yeah he was my advisor yeah, I never took one of his classes. He was the most popular history oh, professor. Oh, he was my favorite. School. He was my favorite. Yeah, he was professor. everyone's favorite. I never took a one, of one of them. Classes.
1: Yeah, I actually I, the other I day. I still remember. F- I still remember so much of the shit from those classes. Like I can still rattle off a bunch of shit on like modern Afghan history. Yeah, dude, he was just cool. from his classes.
0: I actually, uh, by accident, discovered a bunch of old emails from college that I had sent to him, and they were all like me bullshitting, like begging for like time <laughs> extensions and being "Oh, I I misplaced the form. Can I?" It's like man i was such a skis ball in fucking college i just like didn't want to try at anything just last minute everything and he was like uh, so like calm and understanding but in hindsight it's like my shit was was see-through my shit was transparent yeah i uh
1: when uh, my first semester they had for some reason put me into like honor level classes and uh what like honor society whatever the shit is called in college and um I did not do well my first semester, and I was kicked out of that and kind of had a reckoning where I was like, well, you know, I, I don't want to keep being the same piece of shit I was in high school, so yeah. I
0: may as well try. Yeah, I was actually kicked out of college entirely after my first yeah. year. So. And we were there at the same time. We didn't know each other. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, we didn't meet until I came, my triumphant return. Yeah, junior, it was my junior year, yeah. And I guess it was, yeah, it was technically my third year of school, but it became my sophomore year. Or no, yeah. I was only like, I think I graduated a semester after you. I was like halfway there. You graduated. Yeah, we mean, actually walked at the same graduation, but I yeah, wasn't done yet. I had to, yeah, they had me walk because I wasn't going to – I only needed like four credits or six credits or something. And so they <laughs> they told me I could walk in 2012, but then I had to go back for another semester. Huh, damn. Yeah. It was stupid. I was I was a fucking chucklehead, but yeah. – Um. So yeah, so anyway, Portuguese, they they initially were dealing with the Ming dynasty. Cool as fuck, yep. Yep. Portuguese cool as fuck. They're dealing with the Ming dynasty. Very swag. The Ming are an ethnically Han Chinese ruling lineage that had ruled China since the collapse of the Mongol Yuan dynasty. Um, Now, the Han is like the largest of the indigenous ethnic groups in China. It's sort of like a carte blanche for like... The Han are like the people that consider themselves like quote unquote like Chinese Chinese. Like they're... I don't know. There's a lot that goes into the way that ethnicity and race is is viewed in this part of the world. I'm not going to dive too deep into it because it's kind of nuts. But when you think of, like, a quote-unquote Chinese person, odds are there's someone who identifies as Han Chinese. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, So they ran a a tight ship initially, but by the time the Europeans began establishing trade ports, they were in decline, uh, and they had a far lesser degree of control over trade and things. It wasn't ideal, uh, but there was some wiggle room for European traders. And then the Manchus came. Oh, nice. I know. So the Manchus are an ethnic minority in China, traditionally from the northern borderlands between China, Korea, and Mongolia, or Manchuria. Um, Mm -hmm. They were Ming vassals, but they were chafing under imperial rule. So the head of one of the great Manchu clans, the Aisin Gyoro, and I don't know how to pronounce Manchurian names, so sorry, Um, a man who I think his name was Nurhachi or Nurhasi, um, mm-hmm. United a coalition of Manchu, Jurchen, Mongol, and Han tribes and armies and warlords and whatever. Um, he calls them banners. And he overthrows the Ming government, establishing what he called the later Jin dynasty in 1616. Okay. Um, His son, Hong Taiji, finished his conquest of northern China, and by 1636 had established the Qing Dynasty, which would uh, gain control over the rest of the empire shortly thereafter and begin instituting a series of political changes to reestablish imperial primacy and order within the empire. Mm
1: -hmm. Importantly for
0: our story, um, what? Great. I said, yep, great. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Importantly for our story, they sense the potential threat inherent in allowing Europeans to run rampant in the south, trading willy-nilly and doing whatever they want. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they lay down the law. So firstly, uh, Chinese goods will now only be sold to European traders for cold, hard cash. That means golds or silver bullion, nothing else. No furs, no guns, no nothing. Cash. Mm -hmm. Um, For a little while, this is fine. Not ideal, but the European powers do have lots of new bullion from their new world colonies. So whatever. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, However... Pretty quickly, the Europeans rack up a massive trade deficit. The Chinese insistence that they will only take cash means that the Europeans are rapidly spending all their money without unloading any of their own trade goods and becoming hugely dependent on Chinese goods. And this is really only benefiting the Chinese. So over the next two centuries, Qing restrictions would steadily increase. Uh, The Canton system, named after the southern port of Guangzhou, or Canton to the Europeans, um, Mm -hmm. also it's the capital of the province of Guangdong, Um, funneled trade specifically through this one port, and European merchants could only reside in very specific neighborhoods within the city. Um, Moreover, they were only allowed to trade with an established merchant guild called the Kohong, who had a monopoly on all interactions with Europeans. Uh, European merchants were also forbidden from learning Chinese. Now, I'm sure some of them did (laughs) or tried, but they couldn't demonstrate that in public because it was grounds for... Canceling of all trade, um, so they basically yeah, had cancel. To accept... Culture comes to imperial China. Oh my God, man! They practically invented uh, it. Yeah. Um, so they basically had to accept that they are going to be getting fucking hosed in every single negotiation that they have, and they have no hope of appealing to the imperial court or other local powers because they're stuck only dealing with this select group of merchants, the kohong.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wait, so so hold on, real quick. <laughs> yeah. I, I speaking of cancel, did I send you that thing yesterday about the um. <laughs> It was like a Twitter account for some, uh, cancelled Catholic priests. Oh my god, no, that sounds awesome. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, let, let me find it real quick. I, I could have sworn I sent it to you. It is so fucked up, man. Oh, dude, yeah, where is this fucking shit? This is a great great for an uh, auditory medium right now, but yeah, you have to see this shit. Just, uh, looking... Uh, oh yeah, Coalition for Cancelled Priests. <laughs> oh my God! What does this entail? Are you sending it to me? Uh yeah yeah yeah, I'll send it to you right now. Yeah dude, I saw. It, I was like, oh my God, dude, how <laughs> how fucking gross can you be, man? Like this is like too on the nose. The Coalition for Cancelled Priests. The CFCP will be regularly posting updates, news on the accounts. Together, we must stand strong in our Catholic faith.
0: It's like, uh, what are these Braves uh, canceled for? <laughs> I brave, love this oh, first these comment.
1: These priests canceled for.
0: I love your motto, so Latin and traditional. What does yeah. it mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh,
0: oh, she's making a joke because it's a completely bullshit. Yeah. They probably should have spent more time brushing up on their Latin instead of raping children. Oh, Jesus Christ! Wow, I, I'm gonna have to dive into that because it sounds like uh, yeah. they're not getting a lot of love in the comments.
1: No, 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 no.
0: Um, that rocks, though. Yeah, um, that, that's that's fucking hilarious. The Coalition for Cancelled Priests. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's like, Nambla. it's like it's like I know. It's just, just do like, you need no, like an organi- oh, do you need a coalition? Can we,
1: can we utilize cancel culture? Yeah. To, to, uh, uh, to defend these um child molesting priest i wonder if it's the child molesters they're talking about it ha- i mean what the fuck else is it yeah, would I don't it be yeah
0: So, Do you remember how initially it was the Portuguese who had exclusive rights to trading with Ming China? Um, Fuck yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, that's no longer the case. I'm sorry. Uh, By now, the Dutch, the Spanish, the Germans, the British, heck, even the Americans once they become a thing, which is going to happen soon, um, they're all taking part in this Canton system, and they're all chafing under the rules. But especially the British, who are by now the most dominant imperial power on Earth, having deposed the Mughal Empire in India and their little corporate lackeys, the British East India Company. I worded that strangely. They're not the Mughal Empire's lackeys, which is how I worded it, but they're the British East India Company. Um, and they're actually not even really lackeys. It's just a bad sentence. We're going to explain yeah, yeah. what they are. And just... <laughs> yeah, they're kind of the ones running that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that. <laughs> I mean, but... they're like they're like semi-state actors. Yeah, yeah. A they're basically point. like an like autonomous... corporate ownership of lands. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, don't worry. I, I know that. I just wrote a dumb sentence, but... What's um right. so now it's the mid 18th century. The British Empire is the largest in human history. So like think Alexander the Great, Rome, Genghis Khan, all yeah, amateurs like
1: all, You know, the sun never sets, you know, all that bullshit. Yeah, but it's true.
0: It's it's fucking wild. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. wild. At least while they have uh the American colonies, which soon they will not have. But well, I guess they even still have Canada. They, no,
1: they would still have, yeah. So. Yeah,
0: British Columbia. Yeah. Uh so and
1: and hey baby, they got Belize, they got they got Guyana. Yeah. That's you know. true.
0: They had one of those Guianas, you know? They have Java now.
1: Oh, okay, nice.
0: Yeah, that's pretty far over there. Yeah. Um, over the preceding centuries, the British have est- have established naval supremacy, uh, not only over their European neighbors, edging out the Spanish, Portuguese, and Dutch, but over the rest of the world. Um, mm-hmm. They're about to lose the Revolutionary War, but for now they still have a tenuous grip on the transatlantic cotton-slash-tobacco trade uh, that makes those colonies so profitable, and obviously due to slave ownership it's like cost free in a lot of ways which is Mm -hmm. such a big part of of that whole part of american and colonial Mm -hmm. american history um they're looking for a similar way to edge in on that china action that sweet sweet china action getting some of that china white you know Yes, um, so a huge part of uh, establishing of British uh, dominion in Asia and their uh, subsequent financial success uh, comes at the hand of the Honorable East India Company, also informally known simply as The Company. Uh, founded in 1600, the company had a royal charter um, and had become not only an economic powerhouse but also a legitimate military and political force as well, having violently subjugated numerous new uh, markets, markets in South and Southeast Asia. Um <laughs> Yeah, they really cornered that. They were corporate raiders, except they would actually just raid you. Um, yeah. In fact, for yeah, the Yeah, whenever
1: something is called just the something, you know, yeah. like the company... The company. It's, know, a, it's a they're, horrifying... They're doing McKin- some evil shit. It's yeah. like how uh, uh, the McKinsey uh, uh, Management Consultants is just called, quote, the firm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> like people,
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, f- whenever, you, whenever you're whenever you known as that, you are doing some evil,
0: evil shit. It's definitely <laughs> for spooky. For rich people. Yeah. Um, so, in fact, from the mid-1700s to the mid-1800s, it's actually the East India Company that's ruling India um, directly, without any involvement yeah. from the government. Yep. Um, they dealt uh, mainly in, you know, what we now consider, like, everyday household goods and sundries uh cotton silk indigo dye uh tea spices tea's a huge deal um tobacco salt sugar and opium baby um they operate with a super high degree of autonomy within the british empire they basically have a private army and navy at their command that they used to impose quote company rule over various (laughs) territories unregulated (laughs) capitalism am i right uh, the EIC was the crown jewel of the British Empire, making the royal family and lots and lots and lots of other British people extremely fucking rich, but they want more. So, uh, having deposed the Mughal Empire, <laughs> the EIC has has taken over and inherited a relatively large opium farming apparatus from the deposed... Uh, from the area of the deposed Mughal Empire, and they see an opportunity for growth in a bold new market uh, endeavor, getting people addicted to drugs <laughs> that they had a near monopoly on, and then selling those drugs to their extremely loyal new customers. It's some what st- are they Purdue? <laughs> Pretty much, uh, it's some, it's some stringer bell shit. They're Purdue yeah. if they could literally go in with guns and be like, "No, nah, we're selling, we're selling OxyContin." Yeah,
1: you want to yeah. take us to court?
0: Uh, we're gonna actually invade New York. And yeah. um, so opium had already existed stringer in China. Bell. Yeah, yeah. Some stringer bell shit. It is. They've got that kind of that kind of market strategy that made stringer so unique and so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so opium had already existed in China, but was generally only available through a doctor as an anesthetic, right? Which makes sense. Uh, recreational use was super rare. Um, This is a problem for the East India Company because they want to sell a fuck ton of it in China to offset the trade deficit. And they couldn't trade it directly for goods because there's that rule of cash only. But if they could get enough people hooked, they might finally have something that the Chinese actually wanted to buy with some of the silver that they were all amassing from Europeans. Mm-hmm. So this would have the dual effect of reinvigorating uh, Indian farmland where they traditionally grew cotton um, which had been devastated by the reintroduction, or, I'm sorry, the introduction of factory produced cotton cloth using Egyptian and American cotton which are both as I said currently still under British dominion. Um, shortly the Americans will become independent but then they're still going to primarily sell their raw cotton to the British so not much is going to change. Yeah. They're just not going mean, to be th- taxed in the same way.
1: Yeah I mean that's like the big thing you know I mean like obviously like most places in Europe outlawed slavery well before America did. Right. But that's just because they were like, well, we don't have to have slavery, slavery if we can just rely on the American slavery. Right, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, so these farms that were growing cotton, the, the the land is perfectly suited for growing poppies as well, um, which is mm-hmm. how opium is made. Oh, yeah, I should probably talk about opium. Um, so opium okay. is <laughs> a resin uh, created by scratching the bulbous seed pod. <laughs> uh of a poppy plant and then scraping off the milky white tears uh which leak out.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jeez, <that> is, <laughs> yeah it's, it's it is
0: scratching uh, I, <laughs> the bulbous pod. <laughs> yeah and then and then it cries white tears, creamy yeah. white tears. Um so this this secretion is actually That's a naturally occurring latex, which I just thought was interesting cuz natural latex okay. is pretty pretty rare. Um yeah. This is then dried out, formed into a thick resin, which is either smoked or you can like make it into tea and drink it. Um, yeah. It sounds a lot like opiates, uh, and that's because it's the same fucking word, dummy. Opiates, both legal and illegal, yeah, are dumb. all derivations of the chemicals They're found not in opium. Me dumb that make people feel nice, mainly morphine and codeine. So your heroin and your Oxycontin all owe their overwhelming success to the success of opium. This shit rocks. Oh, and it's super addictive, and the withdrawal symptoms are horrendous, which really discourages folks from stopping once they're hooked. It is the perfect product. So, yeah, uh, the East India Company has a massive monopoly on poppies, and they want to sell their super addictive opium to Chinese people so that they can offset the trade deficit. So they do. And for a while... Fuck it. Yeah, it works out really nicely. Uh, This, of course, unfortunately, quickly leads to an addiction epidemic centering in Guangzhou, um, but quickly spreading throughout China and affecting basically every level of society. And because the EIC had so much opium, they could sell it relatively cheaply at first, which is a good pusher strategy. Sell it to them cheap, get them hooked, give them a sample bag. Your first hit's always free. Yeah, man. Uh, In a succession of increasingly severe edicts, the imperial government uh, seeks to clamp down on the opium trade to restore societal stability. And by 1800, the trade of opium between foreigners and Chinese merchants was fully and completely illegal. Now, if this sounds like there's maybe a loophole, there is excellent observation. Uh, So the East India uh, Company can't trade opium in Canton, right? But Mm -hmm. here's what they can do. Do you remember when I mentioned that the British had really, really dope ships? Well, yeah. The Chinese do not. Their ships are mainly for use in rivers and coastal waters and not super well adapted to traversing the open seas. Uh, Famously, and this is another episode I really want to do, Chinese explorer, I don't know why I didn't write his name, but Zheng Hei, Had sailed around much of the known world in the 15th century, but even he had stuck mainly to coastal, relatively calm waters. So there's theories that he reached South America, but probably not. He definitely reached parts of Polynesia, parts of Africa, uh, the Mm -hmm. Middle East. He went all over, which is big for, you know, a a traditionally isolationist um, people like the Chinese, but... Even he had stuck to mainly coastal waters. The Europeans, on the other hand, are real mm-hmm. fuckers, and they can go literally anywhere on Earth at this point.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so what the European traders would do is they would buy old, chunky ships, and they would convert them basically into floating warehouses and anchor them offshore, <clears throat> just far enough away that Chinese naval vessels would be at a major disadvantage. Um, The East India Company's own heavily armed modern vessels and British naval vessels would patrol these waters with their cannons and shit, and they're basically invincible. Um, So they would store opium in these floating warehouses and then just guard them. Uh, Chinese merchants would then sneak out, pick up opium, and do the deal out on the high seas where the government can't oversee or do anything about it, and then take the opium back and sell it themselves. So it's Chinese merchants selling opium in China.
1: I'm having some flashbacks to uh, The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. Oh, yeah? Where there were some, like... why Weren't there, like, floating warehouses that you could, like, go out to in your little boat and you could, like, buy
0: shit in them? I'm not proud of this, but I've never played Wind Waker.
1: Motherfucker.
0: I know, yeah. It's one of those that, games you're supposed oh, to play. Man. The last... Prior to Breath of the Wild, the last mainline Zelda game that I played was, I think, Majora's Mask. See, I never played Majora's
1: Mask. I obviously played Ocarina when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, played Wind Waker. Uh, I played Twilight Princess, but I never beat it.
0: Oh, yeah, I played Twilight Princess. I never beat that. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I don't really count that.
1: But, yeah. Uh, um, and I, have,
0: I haven't played uh, Breath of the Wild yet. Oh, you got me, man. I'm, I'm so anxious for you. Because I'm I playing know. it through for the second time. And it's... Yeah, I'm going to play it on my roommate's Twitch once I'm done with Outer Worlds. Dude, it is it is just as good, if not better, than the first time. You, and when you get it, like, you should get the ex- expansions. Because they're just little quality of life things. Yeah. Uh, the game was already super huge. But they just added, like, a bunch of fun little tidbits that you can do. It's worth the extra couple bucks. <laughs> Um, so... In the early 19th century, good old Uncle Sam gets involved. Um, And they're not big players in this first opium war story, but they're there. Uh, Makes Mm -hmm. me super proud because we've been pushing opiates since basically day one, Um, which is great. Yeah. Where the U.S. does play into to today's story, um, they were getting their opium in Turkey. And it's a lot yeah. shittier than the high-quality stuff that the <laughs> EIC is pushing. But they can sell it for way cheaper, which they do. And so then this undercuts EIC profits, forcing the price of their opium down. Uh, and this meant that opium exploded even further in China because it's just even cheaper. So poor yeah. people can afford it, whatever. Um, and you know who else got really into all this? Do you remember the Kohong, that group of elite merchants that could... Have exclusive rights to dealing with Europeans. Uh, mm. Well, they love this. Um, initially, they were set up to strangle the connection with European traders, but this sort of backfires. They end up profiting hugely from opium because European traders who are just making money hand over fist are are totally happy to bribe the shit out of these guys to remain complicit. Yeah. And since they're basically the only oversight, it's like, all right, we're set. Like as long as their their hands are greased, like we're good to go. Um, yeah. And just like that, the state-run apparatus set up to regulate the influx of foreign goods is immediately corrupted by unfettered excess to capital. Say what? <laughs> this is all sufficiently fucked up, but don't worry because there's a knock at the door. And who might it be? That's right. It's classical liberal economics and the theory of the free market. And they have a few things to say about your, quote, government regulations. Uh, this is a bonkers topic. Um, and there's a lot to touch on. Yeah. I did not do like exhaustive research on on, on, on early classical economics, but this yeah. episode is about the opium War, so we're not gonna, we're not going to diverge too much insofar as we're only going to talk about the things that really mattered for today. So, yeah. in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, a school of economic thought developed in Great Britain that has come to be known as classical economics, uh, pioneered by a thoroughly demented perv named Adam Smith, who actually wasn't that demented. Um, yeah, also- I mean, yeah, uh, Karl, Karl Marx, famously. Uh,
1: Expanded on a lot of Adam Smith. Yeah, Uh, and uh, you know, uh, you know, Adam Smith was just really a few, few decades, not even quite a full century before Marx. So, capitalism isn't much older than communism.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna get into that as a Mm -hmm. as a. The reason that that he's referred to, and he and his like his buddies are mm-hmm. referred to as classical economists, is mm-hmm. actually because of Marx. Because Marx would yeah. differentiate between them, and what did he call like their their perverted or their their vulgar? I think was the word he used. Mm-hmm. They're the, the the vulgar economists that would come after them. Um, yeah. The basic idea here is that markets should be allowed to essentially govern themselves with relatively little oversight from any political entity. Uh, Investment of the ruling class in economics and trade, commonly called mercantilism, uh, was the prevailing economic theory leading up to this point. The primary goal of trade at this point uh, was to promote the power of a particular state over their competitors, and this pursuit frequently led to armed conflict and war. In opposition to this heavily government-regulated economy, Adam Smith and his peers proposed that instead the economy should be left to its own devices, uh, or at least not be controlled directly by the government, but should be in the hands of the people, uh, free from the oppressive oversight and intervention of the government, and that this would inevitably lead to a greater distribution of wealth among the lower classes, indeed allowing for the formation of a, quote, middle class, and would allow greater access to not only the wealth, but also the goods imported via trade. So it's a rising tide raising all ships.
1: Yeah. The, um,
0: the, the idea was that rather than a national economy existing solely to benefit the state, it should be considered a separate entity that benefited all of those participating in the system at all levels and allow those participants the freedom to do business however they saw fit. Um, it sounds kind of nice on a certain level, um, allowing all the wealth to sort of trickle down. Um, mm-hmm. But these early liberal econ- economic thinkers may actually have had the best of intentions uh The best intentions of the people at heart Uh, and indeed there are some pros to classical economics as evan said even karl marx gives a bit of the nod to these these early classical economists over those who would come after them because they did actually hope to improve a lot of the people Um, and an economy resting solely in the hands of the people is sort of a proto-communistic idea in a certain light Uh, but as we'll see this also has a tendency to lead to warfare and death
1: yeah i mean what happens is that you know the economy doesn't work in order to sustain the state but what will happen? Is that it'll just sustain people,
0: itself and it'll be kind well, yeah, of its well, the
1: uh, the state will start being used in order to sustain the economy. Right. <laughs> which is really what capitalism is. It's, uh, you know, those free market economics, but where the state is uh, specifically there to protect private enterprise, you know,
0: as opposed to being left alone. Right. None of that mm-hmm. has happened yet, but that's where that's where this is headed. Mm-hmm. Um, because with the idea of a free market comes the idea of free trade. Yes, that's right. A man really ought to be able to sell what he wants, where he wants, as long as there's a market for it, uh, even if he's selling, say, I don't know, opium to uh, maybe China. Yeah, so, just, just uh, spitballing, spitballing Just throwing some yeah. ideas out. So merchants have this radical notion that not only are Qing government restrictions annoying, heck, they're also unjust, an infringement of natural rights even, and that is just fucking no good. Uh, yeah, in addition no to step this... No on snake. <laughs> no. No, no stuff on snake. In addition to this, the Qing government, now in power for two centuries, is dealing with some of the problems that the Ming uh, Ming government had dealt with previously. Unrest, societal instability, rebellion. There's something called like the White Lotus Rebellion going on right now that's costing them a ton of money. Um, So they, they, they need to pay for the troops to crack down on this shit. So they double down on their need for bullion as the only suitable trade. Around this time... The Charter Act of 1833 passes in Britain, which effectively ends the East India Company's monopoly on opium production and on trade with China. It also transferred control of India directly to the British government and reformed the East India Company as a purely administrative body. They are no longer like an economic company. They're now like a government wing of administration in the East. Um, So basically the opium trade is free game now and tons of enterprising entrepreneurs flock to China and India to get their piece of the pie. Yeah. So shit starts popping off left and right. In 1834, Sir William Napier, a naval officer and minor noble, uh, I think he's like a baronet or something, is appointed as a commissioner of <laughs> trade with China. Loser, dude. I know. Uh, he's appointed as a as a he's commissioner barely tra- up there in the peerage. He's appointed as a commissioner of <laughs> trade with China with strict orders to obey <laughs> Chinese regulations while negotiating for a restructuring of cha- trade with China under the new charter. Uh, he immediately does not comply with his orders. He tries okay. to get around the normal restrictions on working through the Koh He sends a letter directly to the governor of Canton uh, or the Viceroy or whatever, uh, who is totally scandalized, refusing to even read it, and responds by temporarily suspending British trade for breaking the rules. Like, the Chinese are not fucking around with this shit. Yeah. Uh, they have very strict laws. Napier was like, fuck this, and he orders two warships to go up the Pearl River— which is the river that, like the delta upon which Guangzhou is built. Uh, And Mm -hmm. he orders these two warships to fire on the military forts along the mouth of the Pearl River to show these pesky Chinese who's boss. So China's pissed. Uh, The British government was disappointed, uh, maybe not as pissed, um, and Mm -hmm. Napier uh, withdraws. The only reason that this doesn't go further is because he gets sick with typhus and he withdraws. He promptly (laughs) leaves for Macau and then he just dies. (laughs) Fucking owned. But a a precedent (laughs) has been set that, like, this is how we're going to deal with China. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Uh, yeah. So in
0: 1839, the emperor appoints a scholar slash politician, and in in Qing, Qing China, these are kind of one in the same, right? You have these people that work their whole lives to like work their way up through the bureaucracy. It's it's so fucking interesting. Yeah. Um, so he appoints a, a scholar politician named Lin, and I think it's Lin Zexu, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm not sure. Lin Zexu as the chief commissioner for ending the now unstoppable opium trade. Yeah. Uh, Lin sends a letter directly to Queen Victoria before he does anything, which is kind of a boss move, um, asking her to intervene, um, though the letter was, quote, lost in transit. She apparently never got it. He also wrote it in Chinese, which, like, there's no way anyone <laughs> in London knew how to read. Um, yeah. But it's, like, a really eloquent letter, and he basically... I guess he was under the impression that opium was was illegal in Great Britain, which it kind of wasn't. Um, yeah. Or if it was, it wasn't really enforced. But he appealed to her, basically saying, like, if you wouldn't let your own people do this, why are you, you know, allowing people in China to do this? And, he's, and then he gives her the benefit of the doubt, and he's like... I, I will assume that you are just unaware that this is what your subjects are doing to my, my homeland, but yeah. now consider yourself, like, on notice. You're aware. And if you don't <laughs> do anything about it, you're going to be considered complicit, and, like, it'll be an act of war. And he's like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to end this one way or the other. I just want you to be aware that we're going to start trashing your shit. So yeah. you can either help us or whatever, but just know that we're going to crack down on your, on your people heart. Yes. But she never gets the letter, whatever. It's a, bad, it's a badass letter. She never gets it. Mm-hmm. So promptly, Qing forces begin seizing opium stockpiles and burning them. Uh, they also forcibly board British ships and confiscate their stockpiles. Charles Elliot, who's now the superintendent of trade in China, protested uh, and then orders all British merchant ships carrying opium to flee, like pull out towards sea, and prepare mm-hmm. for battle. Okay. Uh, eventually, though, to de-escalate, he orders all opium on board the ships to be surrendered. So they burn a huge amount of it publicly on the beach at Guangzhou. Um, though there are obviously secret stockpiles and there's more on the way.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so the black market is still flourishing. Elliot actually was aware of this. He knew that there was still opium around, but he f- felt like it was too tense of a situation. And if he tried to crack down on his own people, they would just start a war with or without his permission. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he's
0: in a tenuous spot. Um, So in 1839, same year, some British soldiers in Kowloon, which is another nearby, like, fishing port that has become a center for British trade, uh, they get fucked up and they beat a local man to death named Sim Sha Sui. Sim Sim Sha Sui, something like that. Uh, Because why not? Um, Elliot has them arrested and he pays the man's family and village. But when Lin Zexu, who, remember, is sort of his Chinese counterpart, the guy who wrote to Queen Victoria, uh, ordered that they be handed over for punishment probably, which would have been execution. And so Elliot refused, citing the sovereignty of British citizens even on foreign soil. Another mm-hmm. fun precedent being set. Oh, uh, he agreed to allow Chinese observers to witness the military tribunal and trial, uh, but the enraged Chinese refused because they're like, no, you should just give in to us. He broke our laws on our land. He should just give them to us. Um so the Chinese refuse to attend ultimately the sailors are found guilty of like rioting and inciting violence or something five people are sentenced to hard labor and shipped back home where their cases are just immediately tossed out in British court and they just are fine and nothing's so Lin Zexu is super pissed and he bars the British from trade completely demands that they leave Kowloon immediately this is it it's the final straw he places an embargo on all British trade including for basic supplies like food and water so if they want to stay they can starve nobody's allowed to give them anything yeah fuck them yeah, um, Yeah. oh, he's awesome. It's really hard, like, not to just totally root for the Chinese in this. Um, obviously, like, Western history has framed them as, like, these, like, covetous, like, greedy imperialist assholes. But, I'm rooting like, for them. They stuck to their own shit, man. They weren't coming to Europe and fucking with their shit. They just stayed yeah. in China and worried about China and, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, and the British came there and were just, like, forcibly slinging des- opium. Des- destroying their society with drug addiction. Um, yeah. So Elliot orders all British ships to leave the harbor, but to remain off the coast. So there are just like 60 British ships, a couple of thousand people just sitting off the Mm -hmm. coast with dwindling supplies, waiting to see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, he dispatches two armed ships towards the Chinese blockade with a message requesting that they be allowed to land and buy basic supplies, just food and water. The admiral in charge of the Chinese blockade fleet agrees, uh, but then once they land, the officer in charge of the fort in the city does not. So the men land, but then they're not allowed entry, and villagers are quarantined in the city and not allowed to leave so that they can't sneak out and bring anything to the men. Uh, Elliot is frustrated by this stalemate. He sends another message. You either let my men buy supplies by 3 p.m. today, or I am going to fire upon you. Um, The deadline comes and goes, and so he says, all right, fuck it, and he opens fire. The Chinese are outgunned, but they return fire. They trade volleys for a while, and then they end up retreating. Um, shots have been fired. The first uh, the first opium war is officially underway. This is called the Battle of Kowloon. It's not really mm-hmm. a huge battle, but um, it's sort of like, you know, the first shots at Fort Sumter in the Civil War. Sure, like,
1: yeah. sure, sure.
0: Yeah, it kicks things off. The powder keg has been lit. Yep. Um, so after this, many of, of Elliot's officers are foaming at the mouth for a land assault at the Fort of Kowloon because they know they can just take the entire fort. But Elliot refuses mm-hmm. because in order to get to the fort, they're going to have to storm the whole city and there's going to be a loss of civilian life. So kind of admirable of him because he could have totally taken the fort, but he decides mm-hmm. not to to avoid unnecessary um, risks. Uh, instead, he circumnavigates a little bit uh, or circulates rather a bit of propaganda among the people of Kowloon. Uh, and I'll just read what he said. Mm-hmm. The men of the English nation desire nothing but peace. They cannot submit to be poisoned and starved. The Imperial cruisers they have no wish to molest or impede, but they must not prevent the people from selling. To deprive men of food is the act only of the unfriendly and hostile. So I paraphrased. Hey, look, we're reasonable guys, but like uh, Lynn, he wants to starve us for like no reason, which is super shitty. So obviously we're going to like defend ourselves. God. Hey, we're reasonable guys. guys. We we, we, we didn't do nothing. And then he just says, what? We got to just starve to death, like, for no reason? So Um, this
1: guy, he says to me, this guy, you won't believe this. He says
0: to me, you're going to starve. You're going to starve. Because I just don't like you. I just don't like you for no reason. Um, So he spooks the Chinese troops, and they leave the city. And he does send his men in to purchase supplies in Kowloon. Um, Mm -hmm. However, the local commander... Uh, the guy who had just sort of given up the city, Lai Enzhu, sends a very different report to his superiors, stating that he had defeated the English in battle, he had sunk a ship, and killed (laughs) 50 men, and that the British had been unable to resupply themselves. Um, This, unfortunately, is going to be sort of a trend uh, among the bloated Chinese bureaucracy and the the military apparatus Um, that would prove to be a large part of their inability to stem the British tide, much to their detriment. They can't organize and it's Mm -hmm. considered more important not to admit failure than it is to like strategically say hey we fucking lost we need to do this this and this everybody was sort of just like the death knell (laughs) yeah yeah and it (laughs) sucks yeah I mean, it's similar things happen in a lot of these, in a lot of societies. You see something yeah, similar yeah, yeah. kind of in the Soviet Union, whatever. Like, everybody, the left hand never knows I mean, what the right uh, hand is doing. Because early
1: because, early communist China, too, you know, yeah. with, like, the Great Leap Forward, like, one yeah. of the biggest reasons of that is because uh, people were overzealous in reporting the, uh, the gains of their collective farming.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so, if there's one thing that you can say about the British Navy... Um, in sort of contrast to this sort of disorganized Chinese response, it is that they are not like that at all. They are an organized, well-oiled machine, and they are very good at what they do, as the yeah. Chinese will soon find out. Um, next time, on left on red be.
1: So the first French Republic would find out as well. Oh
0: yeah, um, yeah, which is which is around the same time the Napoleonic yeah, yeah. Wars are sort of like a backdrop to a lot of this, and I just like haven't talked about them, but we'll probably will next. Yeah,
1: time. That, that's what's so crazy about this is that like at the same time the British are just absolutely running circles around. Yeah, uh, you know, in terms of naval power again in all the Napoleonic
0: Wars. Yeah, which is also like sort of the main one of the main reasons that uh, the British were not didn't just like smoke uh america in both the revolutionary war and then the war of 1812 is because they were fighting right. just like multiple wars on different continents at the same time Constantly, and they just yeah, like yeah. deemed us like the least important of their yeah, assets yeah. When, and once so- uh, once the french joined the american revolution the
1: british were finally like you know what <sighs> fuck it <laughs> yeah and i
0: think in american history we have like a tendency to over inflate like how awesome we were in that win. And it's like, nah, man, like we really were (laughs) we would have lost
1: that shit if the French didn't bad. (laughs) And so like we were, we were kind of getting smoked. You're,
0: you're about to see like in, in the first and second opium wars too, like the other side of that, like the British empire is about to like absolutely fucking house China. Just like, just like as an afterthought, they're about to just like demolish one of the world's oldest, most powerful civilizations just so they can keep selling drugs there. It's a, I don't mean to spoil it, uh, but yeah. China do- China does not win the opium wars. <laughs> yeah. um, it is not going to go well uh, for yeah. them because they are about to get fucking smoked. Yeah. So um, no pun intended. But that is the <laughs> end of my notes for today in the interest of not making a two-hour episode. Um, yeah. And I, I, I hope you guys are interested because I fucking love this. This is like one of my favorite topics because it really is like – Whenever people mention, like, uh, <clears throat> free market capitalism or just, like, letting letting corporate entities sort of govern themselves, this is the first thing that comes to mind because, it's like, yeah, we did that. Like, immediately, the, f- the first time that happened, look yeah. what happened. <laughs> like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah. the British East India Company had uh, free reign to do whatever the fuck they wanted – and they conquered places. Like, yeah, yeah. Like
1: was... that's the thing, dude. Probably, oh, oh no, but if you just have like, dude, it's like one of the funniest things is uh, if you look at um, and we'll get into this in future episodes. But uh, like Pinochet era, Chile, uh, once Augusto Pinochet took took control, all those perverts for perverts from the uh, Chicago uh, School of Business, they were allowed to like. It like, that was, like, the testing ground, the proven ground for uh, neoliberal shock doctrine, like Milton yeah. Friedman. And after the failures of that system, I swear to God, Milton Friedman would say, um, oh, no, no, uh, we didn't fail there because it was too much freedom. There just wasn't quite enough. I wasn't allowed to go as <laughs> far as I wanted to. Yeah, and it man. was like, dog, what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, it's 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 <laughs> such a fundamentally, like bloodthirsty and barbaric mindset and yeah.
1: uh just uh, it can always be freer there can always be even less state restriction right, right. it's like what you don't understand is that naturally once anybody starts gaining power there then they start using the arm of the state to protect themselves like right. <laughs> like there's no there's no like Uh, like you're never going to get to like perfect like free markets yeah because once anybody gets strong enough it's just going to go through that snowball effect where then they become yeah like the east india company
0: right and it's like such a such a cliche but you know absolute power corrupts absolutely and if you let any of these like oligarchical figures dominate, like they're just going to why because i mean you can even frame it as a point of economics but like it's in their best financial interests to just take over like, why? Yeah, I mean, like, that, that was they... like what we said
1: before, too, with the Fourth Crusade. Yeah. I believe it was the Doge of Venice who was the one who that convinced everybody hey, yeah. guys, instead of Jerusalem, why don't we just go sack Constantinople? Why? Because that's an
0: awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, it's in an awesome position for trade, right? Because it's like, yeah. right, it, cutting off access to, what is it, the Black Sea? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Get the, uh, the Dardanelles, right yeah, there. Yeah, if you want to get through the Dardanelles, you, you got to go through me. And then, like, boom. Done deal, yeah. and it's also like you know perfect, right from Asia to Europe. Step step one, take over Constantinople. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, man. So that's part one. It's the build up to the Opium Wars, which you know, I, I, I again, I, I could have just skipped all that and just started talking about the Opium War, but I, I really wanted no, to, no, cool. yeah, I wanted to talk about all that shit and talk about fucking. Free market economics and liberal economics and uh, all the building blocks and the East India Company, yeah. all the things that led to um, the conflict. Because I think that's like as interesting as the, the war itself. And in fact, the war itself is, is kind of like you know just watching like an absolute rout of like a like a basketball. It's 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 honestly it's like watching you know U.S. basketball in the Olympics or something like the dream team yeah. <laughs> just like smoke a bunch of like hicks from Croatia. You yeah, know? like watching Michael Jordan just like absolutely decimate like some poor little Finnish guy yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's 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 yeah china's about to get dunked on which sucks but sorry. sorry sorry china it's not an exciting war in that respect yeah um all right cool well that's it for me you have anything else you want to add
1: uh i do not you know just, just the, the, usual. uh, the usuals yep you know ray re- review us on your app of choice uh please tell literally every single one of your friends and family members about us Um, every single one, we are, we are demanding that you do that as our fans. And, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. I just got a text, so I ordered Greek food, like, five hours ago. (laughs) I just got a text that's a, that's, like, your food's here. (laughs) When did you order it? Hours ago, I ate it. I (laughs) I mean, the picture, the picture is from, like, two o'clock oh nice yeah it's what'd you get souvlaki always nice. chicken souvlaki dude yeah they get it with a greek salad and some rice it's like you know mm-hmm. not I won't say healthy but it's better than some of the alternative takeout options like a pizza or a Chinese food or something yeah for sure it's like yeah. grilled chicken and fucking salad and veggies yep. um alright yeah well thank you guys so much um you know I hope that you have a great week and uh we will catch you next time
1: yep with a little more uh Alan Dulles action. Oh, are we going back to Alan Dulles? Oh yeah, we've got uh, we've got a lot of uh, we're diving back into the deep state. Yeah, man. The chessboard. <laughs>
0: I think it's fun bouncing back and forth between that and the Opium War. It's like yeah, it's it's a lot of similar shit, you know, yeah. just in different places and different times. Mm-hmm. Um, the the dawn of of European capitalist imperialism.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Have and a great then
0: the week. Oh yeah, it just <laughs> turns into an absolute garbage fire. Yeah. And now All we're right. living in the utopian society we have today.
1: So. Yeah, beautiful. Love it. Hell yeah, baby. Red, white, and blue. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Later. Peace. <laughs> can feel it. See it.
2: it today. If you can't, it doesn't matter anywhere. You will never Cause it happens to fast And it feels so good, it's like walking the glass